Good evening. It's seven o'clock and time now for In Context with Patrick Boynes. Well, good evening. It's great to have you with us and welcome to In Context, the radio show where we take a look at scripture and where we'll always aim to look at things within their context. So you can find us here on Internet Radio through the Truth.fm website. Uh, on the uh, truth.fm app, look for truthfm.uk, or by going to radio.truth.fm colon 8000 slash UK, which really is a bit of a mouthful, but... uh, Well, we have some technical wizards who are working on making things much more simple for us all. But if you're with us tonight, then I can only assume you must have found us somehow. My name is Patrick Boynes. I am one of life's strugglers, but I've come to find strength and hope in the person and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. He's my teacher. I'm learning to follow him throughout life's journey. And I've been reading and learning and studying and thinking about the scriptures, well, for more years than I can remember. And I've been greatly blessed with opportunities to teach others over the years in all sorts of places and in all different kinds of circumstances. So here we are on the internet, wireless, sharing together some thoughts and insights into the words of God every Monday evening at seven o'clock. And one of the things which has for a long time been of great concern to me uh, when we're reading the scriptures is that we learn to read and understand them in their contexts. Uh, Whenever we're reading scripture, whether we're reading about Jesus or of events which happened long before his time. We're reading of things which took place in a a different age from that in which we live today and within cultures far removed from our own. And at times, this can make the job of understanding what was written to be rather challenging and adventurous as well, of course. We find ourselves visiting worlds with which we are really just not familiar. We find ourselves observing strange customs and wandering about in foreign territory. You know, one minute we might find ourselves encamped with ancient nomadic tribes in the wilderness, and then the next moment we're in, you know, the bustling metropolis of first century Athens with its temples and marketplaces, and we're we're trying to make sense of it all. It'd be rather naive to think that all scripture is the same, you know, that it was 
all written in the same style or that it made no difference as to who was writing it or when they were writing it or where they were writing it. And so it would be somewhat dishonest, disingenuous perhaps, to simply sort of you take a sentence or a, a phrase or even a single word and insist that it means to us today exactly what it meant to those of old, to whom it was first spoken or written, you know, without any sort of consideration of its context. So as the weeks go by, we'll have a lot more to say concerning contextual matters, whether it be matters of literary context or historical context or relational context. Stay tuned as we work our way through the writings of Luke. Ah, did I mention that? Um, as we as we explore scripture within its many contexts, here on In Context, we're going to begin with the writings of Luke. I suppose this will be something of a study of Luke Acts, but hopefully we'll address some useful matters of what we might want to call biblical interpretation along the way. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that we'll maybe learn something of the writings of Luke as we learn something of, you know, principles of interpreting Scripture. Well, we'll see how we go. And I've chosen the writings of Luke not only because I particularly enjoy them, but because I find them to be so terribly useful. I mean, that's not to say that I don't find the rest of the scriptures useful. Of course I do. But the writings of Luke, I think, are of immense importance to our understanding of the mission of God. And um, we'll be beginning with the Gospel of Luke, or if you like, Luke Volume 1. And perhaps the first thing we should note is that the Gospel of Luke is the first of two volumes. In fact, it's uh, the only one of the four Gospels to have a sequel. But I suppose that's not necessarily obvious, at least in the way in which they are generally arranged in our Bibles today. You know, being separated by the Gospel of John. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and then Acts. But it's almost universally understood that Luke wrote both the gospel that bears his name and also the book of Acts, a.k.a. Luke, volume two. So we might ask ourselves, why is that generally understood? Well, listen to the beginning of volume two, the beginning of the book that we generally call Acts. In the first book. O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
The first book he mentions there, the first book clearly refers to the Gospel of Luke, which, as we will see, is also addressed to Theophilus. That means that the Gospel of Luke um, is all that Jesus began to do and teach whilst he was in the flesh, that is. And by implication, the book of Acts must be about all that Jesus continued to do and teach through his new community on earth. And I think that that is terribly helpful in our understanding of the writings of Luke. We need to see Jesus as the central character, not only of the Gospel of Luke, but also of the book of Acts, and uh, maybe understand that both were essentially written for the same purpose, to make known the life and teachings of Jesus. Now, the reason that there are two volumes may well be due to their length. Did you know that the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts are each uh, close to the normal maximum length for a Greek scroll? Now, that may not be terribly important for radio, but it's jolly important when we come to writing them down on paper or uh, papyrus. Now, although both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts may essentially have been, you know, written for the same purposes and certainly share significant common themes, there's no reason why they shouldn't be classed as two different types of literature. I mean, there's a very clear unity and continuity within the two volumes. But as far as the character of the books, as far as the, the uh, style of writing is concerned, if you like, they're really quite distinct. The Gospel of Luke is... Well, it's a gospel. We'll say a little more of that in a moment. And though they may not be simple biographies, they certainly contain biographical material. The Book of Acts, on the other hand, is essentially history. Some use the term an historical monograph, a history that is told through a succession of interesting action-packed stories. And we'll have a lot more to say about that at some time in the hopefully not too distant future. But in both volumes, the central character is Jesus. And we really mustn't miss that. We really mustn't miss him in both volume one and volume two. Ever since the second half of the last century, it it became increasingly common to discuss Luke Acts 
as a, a single unit, as it were. And although this may be partially due to literary matters, there are some more significant theological matters to this, some of which we've already hinted at. A um, chap by the name of Robert Tannill, you probably haven't come across him. I don't know. You might have done, but he wrote a uh, he wrote a book called The Narrative Unity of Luke Acts, a literary interpretation. Um, you don't need to rush out and buy it, of course, but uh, fascinating though it is. He said this. He said Luke Acts is the the longest and most complex narrative in the New Testament. It was written by an author of literary skill and rich imagination who had a complex vision of the significance of Jesus Christ and of the mission in which he is the central figure. This complex vision, he goes on to say, is presented in a unified literary work of two volumes. Holiday in his commentary says that Acts is not really a sequel conceived by Luke after completing his gospel, but it's a part of Luke's original literary vision. It was not an afterthought. Luke anticipates Acts, which presupposes Luke. And I could certainly very happily go along with that and uh, understand the two books as being um, two of a, of a whole. I just think when they came to arrange the books of the New Testament, you know, they didn't ask me because I wouldn't have arranged them in the way that they are. And I rather suspect they may not have asked you either. You know, if it was up to me, and it wasn't, and, well, I don't know if it's up to anybody in particular. I suppose you can arrange them in whichever way you choose. But I would have put John at the beginning, even if only because he begins with the words in the beginning. And then that way I could have easily arranged Luke and Acts together side by side and nobody would ever have considered that they weren't what they are. Incidentally, did you know that as a unit, Luke Acts is the largest single part of the New Testament's scriptures. The Gospel of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament, with um, about 19,500 words uh, in the Greek in which it was originally written, and Acts is the second longest, with about 18,500 words. No need to rush off and count them. So not only did Luke write the longest two books within the New Testament scriptures, he wrote more than any other single writer. And this makes his contribution to the New Testament, well, particularly significant. If we were to add in the longer books from the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, if you like, for which we might generally um, acknowledge authorship, the only known writer to have written more than Luke is Moses. Well, we could go on and on and on, but enough of such statistical conundrums. Um, I want to ask the simple question here, and that is, what is a gospel? 
We use the term when speaking of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and uh, it might be worth spending a couple of minutes considering just what is a gospel. Well, it is a word that comes from the old English God spell, from the word God meaning good, and spell meaning news or a story. I don't know, we might use the word spiel today. And it's generally used to translate the Greek word evangelion, which simply means good news. Uh, Luke uses the word in uh, chapter 9 of his gospel and verse 6, if you do that sort of thing, when he says that they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, I generally refer to the ESV, and I generally won't mention it, but I'll mention a version if it's another one, and the New Living Translation at that point doesn't use the word gospel. It says that they began their circuit of the villages preaching the good news and healing the sick. So the gospel is simply the good news. Well, you knew that, didn't you? But the word seems to have become something of a technical term, referring to the message and teaching of Jesus. And then it came to uh, be used of these four gospels, as being the gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Of course, we know that there is only one gospel, as it were. Paul will make that emphatically clear when he's writing to believers in Galatia. But when we use the term in uh, the sense of a, a style of literature or, or a genre, if you like, well, there are four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And at first glance, it would be easy to understand the Gospels as simply being biographies of the life of Jesus. I mean, there are examples of biographical literature throughout ancient history, so it might not be considered extraordinary to find biographies of Jesus of Nazareth. However, as biographies, they're generally considered to be rather incomplete. Um, there's an awful lot of information that is omitted, um, that we simply just don't know about. And uh, I'm sure we may on occasions have been reading through one of the Gospels and said to ourselves, why didn't you tell us a little more? What about this? What about that? Well, although the Gospels may well contain, and they do contain, biographical material, they're far more than simply being biographies. In essence, they're a genre all by themselves. I. Howard Marshall refers to them as theological biographies. Bach, in his uh, work on Luke, speaks of uh, a gospel as being a, a theological narrative about Jesus Christ. It teaches its theology while recounting the events surrounding this most famous of lives. 
and we'll maybe have something more to say about that a little bit later, about the idea of revealing truth through the telling of stories. And that certainly is uh, what we find within the Gospels. And it would be true to say that whatever we understand the Gospels to be will determine how we read them and how we present them. Now, I'm tempted to ask the question, why are there four Gospels? And I'll say just a little about that because it I, 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 we won't get to say anything about it later, I suppose. But the existence of four separate gospel accounts is probably something that we may simply take for granted. And though we may not understand all the reasons for there being four separate documents, we can be certain that it was by the design of the Spirit of God. The existence of four separate accounts further suggests that they were never simply about relating the facts, as it were, according to some sort of scientific method. Uh, that is, the, 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 the personal retelling of the stories by authors within different contexts suggests that the personal witness is part of the telling of the good news itself. If they were simply about relating facts, then surely one more complete account would have been sufficient. You know, something like the authoritative biography of Jesus of Nazareth, all the facts you ever needed to know. But that's not what we've got. Now, of course, it's clear that we have at times the same events being relayed from different perspectives. You know, various details are included or excluded according to the author's preference or according to the context in which they might be writing. I mean, throughout the centuries, there have been attempts to produce harmonies of the Gospels, even as far back as the late um, second century AD. A chap by the name of Tatian compiled a most significant work known as the, the Diatessaron, and uh, which literally was a, a harmony of the four Gospels in what he understood to be a chronological order of events. But if ever you've tried to harmonise the Gospel accounts, you'll know that there are some events which are impossible to know the order in which they occurred. So evidently that's not always a matter of importance, and again it points us away from the notion of them being mere biographies. The existence of four separate gospel accounts itself tells us something of how they're to be understood, and we need to be careful in our studies to allow them to say what the respective authors wished them to say. And then we should seek to understand what is the message for us and how we might best relate that message to our contemporaries today. And all of this, of course, we will want to do in context.
I mentioned earlier the idea of relational context. You know, the scriptures were never revealed within a vacuum. They were always revealed within the context of relationships, all sorts of relationships. Uh, Some of them were, were personal, some were communal, even within the context of national uh, relationships or even international relationships. They were written for the benefit of those relationships. Think of God's relationship with Israel and the scriptures uh, revealed within that context. David's relationship with God, Paul's relationship with Timothy, and on and on and on. And so the scriptures should be uh, understood within the context of those relationships in which they were revealed and written. So when we turn to the writings of Luke, they were written within the context of the relationship between Luke and Theophilus. And so we might well want to know what do we know of these? Well, I think we'll actually leave that until a slightly later date because... Ah, yes, that's the sound of the mission bell, meaning it's our mission segment of the program. Time to consider what implications for mission there might be in the passage that we'll be looking into each Monday evening. And I'll say this, that when we think of mission, we want to always be thinking first of the mission of God and then consider what might be our place within that. As we've probably said before, it's not the people of God who have a mission, it's the mission of God that has a people. Hmm. Well, we've this evening just really been looking at some introductory matters. We've been uh, uh, we've been thinking a little bit of the importance of recognizing context, the uh, the basis of our Monday evening explorations in the writings of Luke, in that literary unit of Luke Acts. We said something earlier that if we see the Gospels as essentially containing information about the doings and sayings of Jesus, we might miss what they're really all about. But, you know, if, on the other hand, if we understand that they are written not simply as a means of conveying information, but written in order to lead us to faith, in order to bring us into life, then we will see them much more uh, than, than being merely information about Jesus, but as personal accounts of the one who came from God to give us life, accounts by those who loved him and by those who through their words continue to bear witness 
to him. And this is a very important missional principle of the relational context of Scripture. People are generally not brought to faith through the presentation of a series of facts or through the revelation of mere information. People are brought to faith through the living words of God, living in the words of those who know him, who convey those truths about him. So just as scripture uh, was always revealed in the context of relationships, so the most effective communication of the good news of Jesus is in the context of the relationships we have with others. Truth is far more compelling when communicated with, with relevance and with personal integrity and conviction. You know, it's one thing to say in some abstract fashion that Jesus has died in order that we might have life, but it's altogether different when I tell you that I was once dead, but now I am alive, all because of Jesus. And then I explain what that really means within the context of my life within a context that you will understand within our shared cultural context. So, as we come to the end of our first episode of In Context, why don't you let us know your thoughts? Uh, you can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. It's truthfm.uk. Or you can tweet us at truthfm.uk or email us um, once we get an email address sorted. Um, but I'd like to hear from you. Drop me a line. Feel free to ask any questions. Let me know any comments and we can read some of those out next time perhaps. Until then, let me wish you God's blessings. May he bless us that we might be a blessing to those around us. And and um, thank you. Thank you for being with us this evening. Mm -hmm.